welcome to Revolution Solution, providing you with solutions for your revolution to be a free person in an unfree world. Join us in our pursuit of sovereignty through permaculture, technology, and community. Welcome back to Revolution Solution. This is Cody. And I'm Jared the Primary Guy. And uh, today uh, we're having on a good friend, dog trainer extraordinaire, lockpicking wizard, uh, Pat Watson, to talk about uh, home security. But before we do, uh, I want to remind you all that uh, we've got a couple referral links in our show notes. Uh, one for Foldcard. I think you get 5,000 sats for signing up with that. Um, and then we both get extra rewards on our spins uh, and then jared's got uh butcher box there yeah, you go it equates to basically free bacon for life uh, i think it, it's about ten dollars off uh plus an additional discount on your first box when you sign up sweet sounds good all right uh welcome to the show pat hey thanks for having me i'm super happy to be here awesome so even happier to have you Hell yeah. So, um, I guess give us, uh, give us a quick background. I know a lot of us probably know who you are, but for anybody who doesn't, um, what's your, your experience with the, uh, lock picking and all that? Uh, how far, how far back does that go? Oh, sure. Um, oh, I can give you the 10 second version. Uh, as a kid, uh, my old man was a cop, so I frequently saw him using the credit card and the door jam trick to pop doors open. Uh, we carried a Slim Jam in the trunk, so we helped stranded motorists quite a bit, so I got to see him uh, kind of show me as a young kid that there was an illusion to security, that if you had the right tools and you knew that it was an option, you can get through locked obstacles. Mm-hmm. Uh, as an adult, I reconnected with that, and my brain was already kind of primed for it. And gosh, I must have been 19 or 20 or right around there when I really dove deep back into that skill set. And I used it. Uh, I kind of honed it and refined it and deep dove on it from then until now. And I spent about 11 years working for uh, military, federal law enforcement, local law enforcement, um, a little bit of private security. And I just, I always had a mind for understanding that illusion of security. Mm-hmm. And now I teach that to people. Sweet. Hell yeah. So, so has this always been like a an on the side thing, or like did you use it in the military at all, or like how how that kind of work with like your jobs that you've done? Oh sure. Uh, when I was active in the military, and then um, I left and I did local law enforcement for a little while before getting pulled back into the military. Uh, through all that time. I always made myself available to teach anyone that wanted to learn. Um, And most of my friends and my circle of uh, influence was other people in the military. Uh, So, you know, roommates, friends, uh, guys on the teams, I would, you know, if anyone asked, I would always teach them. And when I was deployed, uh, I was often a, what they called a training officer for the team. So I would put together things that were job related that the team should be learning and working on. 
so we had to learn legal stuff. We had to learn geography. We had to learn, you know, maritime stuff. We had to learn drug law. Uh, so I would put together different blocks of training for people, and I would just throw in the lock picking stuff in there occasionally. Um, and it was great. It was a good experience to teach. A lot of people got a lot of value out of it. Um, and then I attended a civilian taught course on lock picking, and it was very expensive, and it wasn't a very good course. Uh, that was about, I don't know, a third of the way or maybe midway through my military career. And I paid a lot of money of my own money to go there. And I remember thinking, this sucks. <laughs> like, I, I'm i not a professional lockpick instructor, and I can teach this course better than this guy. And so I decided that day that I would, I would give myself an intense focus on building my skill set, on practicing the craft of teaching others, and and shaping some really effective curriculum so that one day I would teach that course and now I do that full time. So I, it was very intentional um, what I have today. It wasn't on accident and it wasn't something I just woke up and said, hey, I'll teach people. Um, it's been a very long road and I've enjoyed it uh, through the ups and the downs. And I do quite a bit. I do the, the security dog training for uh, family protection dogs. Uh, I do the lock picking and uh, kind of illusion of security training for people. I have two books published out, and I'm working on my third. Uh, and I got to tell you, man, it's been a wild ride, uh, and I've been learning a lot. And someone asked me on Instagram yesterday what my, what the thing I'm the most thankful for is. And I got to say, it's my dog and my relationship with Fortress Canine, and it's also the just the really fucking cool people that I've met along the way, um, in all the different circles that I speak in. So sure. you guys are included in that. Thank you so much for having me tonight. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, I, w I had a question to jump off from there. Um, I know yeah. from from what I've heard from you talking about the Fortress Canine Dogs, from Texas mm -hmm. Joe talking about them, from Joel talking mm -hmm. on the Survival Podcast, um, it seems that the dogs you guys train are to a higher level, or you know, for the specific goal that they're trained for they're trained to a higher level than you'll see for like sport dogs, uh, law enforcement dogs, uh, stuff like that. But you had mentioned that the civilian lock picking course was lacking compared to the like Leo military center training. Is that typical aside from the security dogs that civilian aimed training for those sorts of skills like gun work, self-defense, et cetera, are they typically lower quality for the civilian audience? So that's a hell of a question to bite off <laughs> on. Um, but let me let me take a stab at it. Uh, so first up, a lot of that is subjective. Uh, sure. So really quickly, the sport dog world, there's some very, very highly tuned, highly trained, like down to the decimal point for calorie intake, like feeding dogs, training dogs, world record setting dogs out there that do sports stuff. So mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, a lot of that's subjective. So our dogs are very highly trained in our field. So you're right. There's different purposes for dogs. Um, the lock picking stuff. Yeah, it depends on what you want to get out of it. Um, and I had this conversation with my, um, my co-collaborator. I, I, he's technically, uh, I asked him to sign on as a apprentice so that I can teach him everything I know and we can collaborate together. Um, but we had this conversation today, which is, what do you want out of a skill set? And for anybody, just kind of organically, if you learn how to do a thing, a skill, that's different than learning how to practice an art form. And the short example would be, uh, 
if it's lock picking, it's I have this little rake tool and this little tension wrench and I know how to rake open a keyway. Cool. Do you know how to approach a target? Do you know how to carry the right tools and not carry the wrong tools? Do you know how to spend your time wisely, you know, looking for the best entry point? If you fail, do you know how to troubleshoot? And if you just don't have the right tools on you, um, or if the current problem you're working on is too much, do you know how much time to spend on it before going to the next problem? Do you know how to use your resources in a timely manner? That is an art form, mm -hmm. um, or you can call it a practice, or you can call it a systemized approach. Um, so a lot of people in the government world will learn a tool. They will learn a technique. They might call it a tactic. Um, but what's really lacking, especially in the tactical world and even in the dog world too, a thing that's really lacking is your overall art form practice and your systemized approach to a problem. And lots of people can teach a tool, they can teach a tactic, um, but there's also a lot that's lost along the way. Um, meaning, uh, I'll go on the, a short rant here, so reel me in if I get too far. <laughs> go for it. A lot of people... With guns and dogs, it's really easy to explain. So with gunfighting, right, you'll go to a course and someone will say, let me teach you how to be a gunfighter. And you go, great, I pay you the money, I sign up, I go to the course, I'm the student. And they say, take the gun, draw it out of the holster, shoot the paper target, put the gun back in, hooray, you are now a defensible person, right? You have the skill of defense in gunfighting, which is not true. You have learned how to use a tool in a way, but you couldn't call yourself a gunfighter. No one's shooting back at you. The training doesn't match the mission is mm -hmm. the problem. In the dog world, it's the same thing. You have a lot of dogs that train to bite a human, and that is a skill, and it is a tool. But you can watch. It, it wouldn't take you five minutes on Instagram or YouTube to find a, a dog that claims to be a self-protection dog, but in reality, it is a sport dog, meaning the dog runs, it jumps, it bites the person on the bicep, it bites really hard and really tight and it doesn't let go. And then you have these people that are wearing these bite sleeves that have no other protection on their body as the what people in the dog world call a decoy, but what we call a canine sparring partner, which is two different things. A decoy is a tool used to used to help define or to help shape a specific technique. A canine mm -hmm. sparring partner is someone who beats the shit out of your dog in an attempt to teach the dog how to fight a human, actively yeah. fight a human, to solve problems and to right. uh, to match the mission. So the mission for a lot of these sport dogs that claim to be self-defense, but they're not, the mission that your training would lead you to would be, I want my dog to run and to jump and to bite and to hold on until death, which would hurt. If I was an attacker and someone sent a dog like that on me and it bit my arm and it held on, it would really hurt. Yeah, But you can also see in these videos, the training decoy with the bite sleeve will hold the dog up in the air and carry the dog, and he can just walk around. And just, he waves up like a, they'll shake an empty milk jug with coins in it, and they'll like, they'll lightly pet the dog with it, or they'll use like cheerleader pom-poms to try and distract the dog, and the dog is just supposed to bite and hold. Which again, would hurt, but if you are a determined attacker, and especially if you have a weapon, and some young girl goes out and buys one of these dogs and trains one of these dogs. And I, which I wouldn't, but if I'm like, you know what? I just had a brain aneurysm. All of a sudden, I'm a bad guy. Let me go attack that little girl with the dog. And I'm a determined attacker. And I have either a pistol or a machete or a knife or even not. 
And I go, hey, little girl, I'm going to hurt you. And she goes, no, you're not. I have a dog. And I go, I don't care. And I go after her. And the dog runs. And the dog bites me in the arm. I just keep going after her. And then I grab her. And now it's me and her and the dog fighting. And the dog just doesn't let go, which sucks. But I can strangle her even if I have no weapons. I can shoot her if I have a gun. I can take my knife or my machete and I can kill the dog. And the dog's job is to not let go and to not fight back. It just bites. Mm-hmm. So yeah. hopefully I haven't offended anybody yet, or maybe I have, but <laughs> the point is there's a difference between adding a tool into your toolbox and managing how you approach a problem. Those are two very different things in life. Yeah. So yeah. to kind of answer your very big question with a very big answer. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I try very I try very hard for every single piece of content I put out and every single bit of training that I provide to the world. I try to make sure it goes through multiple filters in my head. And I talk to other people that check that for me as well um, to make sure that there's usable value in it and to make sure I'm not uh, misleading the purpose of the training. So the purpose has a lot to do with it. And uh, I want to take a deep breath now, but Mm -hmm. thanks for letting me answer that. Sure. Yeah, let me. I really uh, appreciate that. Yeah. Let, let me throw something out there that I was just thinking about while you were talking. Is uh, I'm always leery about when somebody asks me, you know, because maybe they live in a state where like guns are illegal, or they live in Canada or something, and they're like, "Well, I need something for protection. Like, what what do you think I should get?" And I'm like, "Well, if you get a knife, you better know how to use it lethally because." Any, if you don't, anybody who's stronger than you can get that out of your hand, and now you just gave the bad guy a sharp piece of metal, which is worse. And then I, I always think about, like, um, like because I, I ended up telling somebody one time a few years ago um, who, who was in Canada, because they, you know, they don't have gun rights there, and I said, you know, just off the top of my head, it, if... You know, if you're like a, a weaker person, you're a female, you're not, you know, like, you're you're not going to be like fist fighting someone. What I would do is get like a some sort of walking staff and learn how to use it as a bow staff because you can generate leverage from it. So like if you're going to carry something at all, carry something that you can actually like knock somebody out in one hit with kind of thing rather than something that can be wrenched out of your hand, you know. I don't know, like, was that, what do you think of that? Like, was that bad advice or was that just kind of? Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's hard. It, yeah. There's, it's a very, number one, it's a very emotional topic and there's, mm-hmm. there's a lot of threads to pull from. So it's hard to give a concise yes, no answer. Um, combat is very subjective too. And, one of the biggest problems, which is another problem that's very common um, to hear discussed incorrectly in the tactical training world, um, it's that the imaginary scenario that you have in your brain that you bring to me, your trainer, you may explain it to me, and I may, in my imagination, see a completely different scenario. Mm-hmm. So what the, I guess the term would be FUD, right, what the FUD right. instructor for uh firearms training, what they think is they're going to be, you know, let, let me guess, right? I'm, I'm, this is very subjective. I'm guessing. They think they're going to be leaving the grocery store and they're putting the groceries in the trunk of their car and they shut the trunk and they turn and like 30 feet away, 
they see someone with like a hoodie and a ski mask and they grab a purse from an old lady and they're wrestling with the old lady and they pull out a big knife and they go, I'm going to stab you. And so the FUD slowly draws his weapon and gets his sights aimed in and he takes a deep breath and he exhales and holds at the bottom and starts to slowly depress the trigger and pow, kills the bad guy with one shot. <laughs> right. That's not, <laughs> while that might technically be a scenario that could and maybe has happened, that's not combat, right? It happens when you're not ready. It happens when you're not prepared. It'll happen when you forget your gun at home. Um, it'll be multiple attackers. Your gun will misfire. It'll be raining out. Like mm -hmm. there might be, there might be someone behind you with a gun. Like you don't know. You don't know these things. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, so if you're so when people ask for def advice about self-defense, um, I think the best answer again, if I lean back on myself without you know sounding like a broken record, it's understanding a layered and systemized approach to problem solving. So there might be a scenario where me having a dog is much, much, much better and more effective in a combat scenario than me having a gun. Uh, I'll give you an example. If, when I travel and I stay in hotel rooms with my dog, who's my service dog, if we're in a hotel room and I have a gun on my nightstand and in the middle of the night I go, God, I got to pee. And I walk away from my bed into, into the bathroom. I, sh I maybe shut the door, leave the door open, whatever. And all of a sudden, boom, my hotel room door gets kicked open and someone comes in there with a gun, a knife, or two dudes with no, no weapons, whatever. I'm, I'm going to have a fight for my life. It's going to suck because my gun is all the way on my nightstand. Mm -hmm. In that scenario, having a gun does me no good. Right. Uh, even if I bring the gun into the bathroom with me, if I set it on the counter and I'm pooping and then the door gets kicked open, it's like, fuck, I got to go grab my gun. Oh, boy, I got to take it out of the holster now because it's got a holster on it still. Why would I walk around? I don't know. I'm probably not going to unholster my gun to go poop at 2 a.m. <laughs> and these dudes come in the hotel room and I'm like, is it the wrong room? Do they have the right guy? Like, I'm going to have to turn the flashlight on. That takes two hands. And then I'm like, okay, maybe I'm dead at this point. Maybe not, but maybe. Okay. Having a dog, I could be sound asleep and I could have taken, I don't know, painkillers or sleeping meds and I can still be out for the count. And two dudes can still kick my door in. And without me even waking up, I have a sneaky suspicion that that fight won't last very long, and those two dudes will be begging to leave my hotel room if my dog is with me. Wow. So I don't have to tell her a command. I don't have to shoot, point her in a specific direction. She knows what to do automatically, and she'll take care of that. Wow. Yeah, that's so awesome. It's very subjective. Uh, if you say, use this tool, sometimes there's more to it than that. Right. Um, and even the training, right? Go take this training. That's, that's probably not enough. You know, mm -hmm. For an event that will probably kill you, it's really hard to say that you've trained enough for that. Mm. Uh, so it's very subjective. So what I would steer people towards is start doing some self-introspection. Imagine the scenario that you'd like to prevent or you'd like to be better at responding to. Um, and I would start considering some layered and systemized approaches. Mm. Yeah, it's permaculture applied to security. It really is. Yeah, for yeah. real. Because um, I guess that, that just got my brain thinking. So, like, if you did live in a jurisdiction where you couldn't, you know, buy a gun and, and even being out with a knife, you know, let's say it's the UK and being out with a knife is something you can get in trouble for. Really, just, like, understanding that numbers helps a lot, too. Like, they say, you know, don't don't walk around by yourself, always go in pairs or whatever. Um, and just, like, I guess knowing where you are and, and what time it is and things like that. You know, is it dark out? Things like that. 
So it's a there's, it's there's a, a holistic a approach. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, it makes that's a, a great that's a great word for it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Cool. Okay, so All I right. think that answers that third question you had there, Jared. Yeah. 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 About self defense a little yeah. bit. Yeah. For sure. Okay. Um, it's kind of the same thing applied different directions. Yeah. So I guess getting into kind of the main the main meat of of why I wanted to bring you on was to talk about like actual like shortcomings that you might see in a typical home. So if I, you know, rent a new house or I, or, or I buy a house or whatever, and I, I walk in the first thing that I'm going to want to do, like what, what kind of things would I uh, want to look at right off the bat? Uh, that's, that's a great one. And there's a lot of really easy answers for that. So the very first thing I'm going to do uh, when I move anywhere to a new house, new apartment, new farm, whatever. Uh, first part of that process is going to be changing the keys. And that includes, even if your realtor says, oh, hey, here's the brand new keys. We just changed them for you. Great. Uh, it's hard to do in an apartment because uh, they require they have you sign your, your uh, paperwork and they require that you have on file with them a physical copy of the key. And a lot of places will even allow you to change your keyway in your apartment. But after you change the keyway, you still have to provide a copy to the office, usually. So uh, my suggestion is, at all costs, try not to live in an apartment. Um, there's things you can do there. So you can prevent a forced entry, meaning you can, you can usually change the, the latch strike plate. Uh, you can usually, you can even sometimes add an interior-only deadbolt. Uh, that means on the front of the door, it doesn't look any different, but on the inside, um, on the inside, there's actually a throw, like a deadbolt throw that you can switch, which means even if someone on the outside has a key, there's still a deadbolt latch that while you're home, that deadbolt will be engaged. Oh, um, yeah, like you see on option. the insides of um, hotel yeah. room doors. Sometimes, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I'll also I'll change out the screws. So if you are just looking at the door frame and you open a door, right? So the door is swinging in the open position and you're looking at the frame that's left. In the frame, you'll see that little two inch by two inch uh, strike plate where the latch hits it as, it, as the door closes. Mm -hmm. A lot of times that latch is only held into the frame with like a half inch or a one inch screw. Mm -hmm. And this could possibly save your life for less than a dollar. Go buy two three inch screws and screw that to unscrew that latch, throw away the half inch screws and put three inch screws all the way deep into that door frame. And that, that will make it several factors more difficult for someone to kick your door in. Yeah. So instead of just going kick, 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 it's open. It turns it into like, fuck, come on, kick. Okay. Kick again. Kick with both feet. Cause come they're on, moving, kick one they're more moving time. that whole door frame, not just that little like sliver of wood on the edge. Yeah. So that it's a, it's a much, much, much more difficult um, obstacle to, to get through with a forced, mm -hmm. forced entry attack. Uh, your hinges, you can uninstall and reinstall, um, you can uninstall the hinges that are on your door, and you can reinstall high security hinges. Um, and again, it's it's a it's a layered system. And it, uh, if your hinges are exposed to the outside of your home, or even even an interior bedroom, if it's kind of if you live by yourself, or if you have like a master bedroom, um, there could be a reason that you would want to up upgrade your hinges. Not very expensive. And the thing I like to do first when I look at a security system is. I upgrade or I change or I implement security options that don't 
have a negative effect on my life. Meaning mm-hmm. if I install so much security that it's a pain in the ass for me to get into and out of my house, I've made things worse, not better. Mm-hmm. So the best options are set it and forget it security where it's just out of the way and it just exists no matter what you do. You can just freely move around and the security is still there. So those, those are nice options. Low cost, always a great option. Um, yep. And then you also have to consider, yes, it's a layered approach. Uh, cameras, awesome. A huge deterrent. You, and we see this all the time on, on commercials and on YouTube and on social media. You'll see the ring door cameras. People walk up. And if that ring camera is right in the middle of your door and someone walks up with bad intent, you often see these videos where someone walks up and they look like a criminal, they act like a criminal, and they go, oh, no, a camera, I'm out. So that's a great option. (laughs) And even if cameras don't work, um, even if it's uninstalled or it's not running, it's better than nothing. It'll often deter um, criminals. Uh, So the soft upgrades, the cheap upgrades, uh, the upgrades that don't get in your way, that's the first thing I would look for. Uh, You also have to consider with your layered approach, especially for physical upgrades to your infrastructure of your home or your apartment or your farm or your whatever, your business. If there is a medical emergency or a fire emergency or an earthquake emergency or some sort of some sort of something that takes you out of the game where people would have to come to help you, um, you get to make that choice. I can't make it for you, but some of these security upgrades for infrastructure, like physical upgrades to your security, some of them are very effective. And they're so effective that they will slow down even the best intentioned and best trained and best equipped first responders. So mm-hmm. you should, pro- if you're worried about that being a problem, you should probably consult with a, with a smart security specialist. Um, mm-hmm. Someone who, who truly cares about their clients. I would love to do that. Um, I don't have a ton of time for, for that right now, but that might be an option in the future. I've had a lot of people ask. Um, but you, you have to choose things that are smart to add into your system. For a young, healthy person that lives with two or three other people, they're all on the same page. Fuck it, go nuts. Put a couple drop bars in, you know, like a like a big two by four that you would you would place behind the door at night into a couple um, wall hooks. Great, super. If the house is on fire, all four of you are probably not dead. Like you can probably get someone to lift that bar off the door. Um, I would say it also depends on the neighborhood you live in. Um, if you're a sweet old lady and you have a heart condition, you probably want first responders to be able to get into your home, mm-hmm. but you also probably don't want a bunch of local gangsters kicking your door in to steal your, I don't know, the, the silver that you took a photo of, right? Your jewelry. Yeah. Um, so for that one, it's good to have some options for smart information. So cameras, great option. Um, a drop bar behind the door, not a great option. Uh, mm-hmm. stickers on the windows that say you are being videotaped with a camera right above the window. Awesome. Hurricane windows, uh, with shatterproof stickers over them. Probably not great because your first responders can't smash that window and can't get in. So it depends on who you are. It depends on how much your budget is. It depends on what you have going on in your life. Um, so yeah, it's, again, it's a very subjective question. Um, and you know, the good thing about what we're doing right now is we're creating a podcast and there are hundreds and thousands of hours of free resources out there. Mm-hmm. So there's really no excuse to, to not have an idea on where to get started. You just start throwing search terms in podcasts. You start throwing search terms in YouTube. So it's on you to do the work. You can get really, really far in your, 
your training, your problem solving, your information gathering. Um, you can do so much of that for free that when it's time to hire someone to consult with you, you'll have a really good idea of what your starting point is. For sure. Yeah, and it allows you to apply critical thinking to those situations because everybody's situation is different. People are mm -hmm. kind of giving general information the way that we're doing here. But, mm -hmm. you know, our information could be completely asked backwards for a particular individual based on their threat model. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so good information isn't always good information. It's, it's right. subjective, too, to who it's, uh, who it's applying to. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Good stuff. Um, what are some typical things that you see that look nice and secure but just end up being kind of pretty window dressing because they're not actually adding to security sure uh first one is uh gun safes <laughs> widely misunderstood just a terrible um kind of realm to be searching in for information um a lot of them can be opened with paper clips which sucks Ooh. A lot of them that are coded can be opened by a three-year-old that can count, meaning if it's a combination lock on your gun safe and it goes 0, 0, 0, and you just roll the dials, 0, 0, 1, 0, 0, 2. Mm -hmm. If your child is left alone long enough and they know how to count, or even if they don't, they could just get lucky and open that safe. So um, that's what I call like the uh, a child-proof factor for counting or for luck, or even if it's a push-button lock. Yes, there could be there could be a hundred combinations. There could be twenty four. There could be, you know, two thousand combinations. But could a three year old press the combinations and get lucky? Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you have to understand how you're choosing your, whether you call it a little gun safe or a little, um, you know, money safe or fireproof safe. What are you buying it for? What do you want out of it? And then I would say, tell me about you. Do you have children in the home? If I, when I lived my, by myself in the military and I had my own apartment, I had a rifle just not inside the front door. I had, you know, a gun in the bathroom in the pullout drawer right by the pooper. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. None of them were in holsters. They were all loaded. That's totally fine. Mm -hmm. I never had a child in my house that I didn't know about. I was never like, oh, look, a child. <laughs> so <laughs> that wasn't a problem. <laughs> if, you, if, if you live by yourself, but you have family over all the time and they have kids, then you need to reconsider that. Mm -hmm. um, there was a there was a place I went to. A good friend of mine was in the military, and he had kids. So he like when I came over, he's like, the guns go on top of the fridge. He's like, you and I expect them to be in a holster, and anything in this house that's in a holster is loaded. And he's like, so that's how we keep things. He's like, if you want to bring over a rifle, that's fine. We'll put it in the safe, and when you leave, you can take it out of the safe. Like mm -hmm. it was pretty clear. Um, so different strokes for different folks, and that's a good thing. Yeah. So back yeah. to the safes. Um, is it money? Right. Well, if it's money or if it's guns or if it's something valuable that you don't want stolen, it should be bolted down. That's like that's like the number one number one problem that people have with safes is even big ass safes. Um, let's say you're out of town for a day or two days and your burglars are smart and they follow you on Facebook and they go, oh, look, they just left for out of town. They could, depending on how and where you live, let's say you're semi-rural, um, they just, they drive up. They kick in the front door, they go to the master bedroom, they go to the safe, and they will just wheel it right out to their truck, even if mm -hmm. it's heavy. Mm -hmm. If it can get wheeled in, it can get wheeled out. So with safes, if it's something you don't want stolen, bolt it down. Yeah. Uh, if it's something with a gun in it, try to get rid of that luck factor or that counting factor, meaning a key is probably really good, um, or a twisting combination is also really good, or some type of two-factor um, authentication is really good, like press the keypad, 
and turn it to this number or something like that. Mm. Um, so that's important. Uh, yeah. Probably the biggest window dressing item in security that I can think of is is gun safes. Okay, yeah. Um, speaking of that, so because safes are something that I'm kind of interested in it, because I know mm -hmm. that like when I was doing you know my research because I I have one that's just a small you know just like I I put like my you know, social security card in there and that kind of thing. Um, and I'm in a rental, so I can't bolt it down. And I know that like, I'm not defending against someone who broke into my house. I'm really just like keeping it safe from anyone who's snooping. Um, so I don't really know where I'm going with this, but <laughs> it's just like, you know, if you're going to have a safe that's holding valuables, it needs to actually be bolted down because otherwise, like, you don't need a combination if you can remove it from the residence and use power tools on it at, in your own garage. So it's just something I wanted to say, <laughs> I guess. Um, is there, I get, I, you know, because we, we like to think of security in terms of like not not just from like attackers but from like natural disaster as well um is there like any like interesting tips regarding like fireproof and waterproof and what that actually means that you might have um or am i asking the wrong guy yeah <laughs> well if you want your documents secure a fireproof box is fine for that, uh, but again, is it theft-proof if someone can walk in and pick it up and leave? Mm -hmm. And that's another thing, too, is that a lot of people will say, um, well, their, their, storage options, their storage options won't be, um, won't be very systems-oriented, right? It'll be buy the, buy the safe off the shelf, bring it home, put the documents in it, and close it. Mm -hmm. So it's good in a fire, but anyone that breaks into your house might not know that it's it's just insurance paperwork. They might think, oh, could be money, so they'll steal it. Mm -hmm. So while you're preventing against one type of possibility, someone that breaks in might not know, you know, they might see a box that looks like a safe, and they go, great, highly valuable. Mm -hmm. While it's valuable to you, it's not really going to be valuable to a burglar. So they're taking it, and they're stealing it, and now you've still lost documents. Even though they're fireproof, they're not theft-proof. So understanding, again, what what do you want to defend against? Hmm, and you funny. can be defending against multiple things at the same time, mm -hmm. uh, but that's a lot of times, uh, a couple friends of mine, if you travel a lot and you travel with guns a lot, a lot of times people will, it's funny, it's funny trying to figure out balancing the scales between, do I put my gun in a gun case, um, but then people will know it's a gun case, and if they look into my car, and if it's not covered with a towel or something, they'll be like, oh look, a gun in a gun case, let's steal it. And so some people mm -hmm. go, well, I keep my gun in a violin case. And I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> and then they go, shit, someone broke in my, into my car to steal his violin. And, <laughs> and now they have my gun. So, yeah, it, yeah it's tough. Right. <laughs> Maybe like a, a, cut out a, a section of a golf bag or something, a really generic golf bag. Yeah, or like a duffel bag. Because even uh, a golf bag, I mean, clubs are. Yeah, but if you can see there's no clubs in it. Oh sure. Yeah. yeah we can yeah, troubleshoot this. It's 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 tough. You know, I'm because sure. my thing, like, because that that is a thing, right? You never want to show like your wealth. That's like a gray man thing, right? So like, if I had a golf bag that I was using to tote guns around, like, 
I feel like that would make me look like a bit of a target because someone would be like, oh, that's a golf bag, as opposed to just, like, a random cheap duffel bag. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I don't know. That's just, that, that's where my brain goes with that. But, um... Yeah, you need to, need to sufficiently obscure to make it not only not obviously a gun, but also not obviously something of value. Mm-hmm. So, uh, speaking, of, speaking of that, like... I, I guess there's always sort of a, a it's a personal choice and a bit of a balancing act but um, one thing that I've considered seriously for like storing something super important like I don't know Bitcoin keys um, you could you know, like how do you feel about um, maybe like not necessarily a safe but like some sort of hidden it's not even in your house like like i've seen things where it's like a fake manhole for an irrigation system and it'll be like a four inch pvc pipe that you put in the ground um and you basically just like glue one end of it shut and then put a screw cap on the other side so it looks like any sort of little you know maintenance hole but what you've actually done is put like a a ziploc baggie with important documents in the uh cap and then you screw it down and, and hopefully it's waterproof yeah, I've I've heard of that too. And while I don't have the answer for that, again, it's really it's it's choosing between, I guess, what people call like the gray man approach or like the hardened approach. Like right. sometimes it's good to have a really big gun safe and to say, "This is my really big gun safe. It's really big. It's really heavy. It's bolted down really hard. Good luck." Mm. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. that's good. It's sometimes good to go, "Oh, that's trash. I'm not going to bother with that." And that's actually really your valuable stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's all it's on the user. Um, and again, if you can split resources, if that makes sense, and sometimes that helps, like let's put half of my guns in this big safe and half yep. of my guns under the bed. Cool. So yep. it just, it depends. We were just talking about that on the, the preview for this uh, security series. It was uh, We were listening to Jack Spierko's episode talking about, like, if I was going to have a food store cache in a post-apocalyptic society, I wouldn't keep it all in one place and then spend all my time counting it. I would probably split it up and then, you know, as I use it, maybe I'll like fill the cans up with dirt and then reseal them and then have that be the one that's like uh, more defended so that if somebody attacks you, they go, oh, this is all they have. And then they get home and they go, oh, it's dirt, <laughs> you know, so it's it's an interesting. Yeah, there's there's a lot of ways to a lot of things you have to consider. Yeah, I know Jack's also mentioned having, you know, the the like barely hidden safe just as an idea a barely hidden safe that's filled with bricks or something so it feels you know good and bulky and meanwhile your real safe is nowhere anyone would ever think to look yeah decoy is certainly an option yeah so that it that's more of like a, a quantity thing right so you always have like the the basic obvious place like this is the safe under my bed and then the real safe is somewhere that yeah, maybe in like the attic of a barn or something that you wouldn't want to go look at. But that's obviously like a more cost-intensive. Yeah, it's it's a more cost-intensive and labor-intensive way to do it. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Definitely. Interesting. Okay, so let's see. I guess speaking uh, specifically about locks, like uh, a quick. I know quick set locks are how much do those run right now? They're like. Anywhere from twenty uh, to sixty bucks. bucks. Fifty yeah. bucks. Okay. Yeah. And how I guess how quick would you say, like if someone knew how to pick locks and that's what they did, how quick do you think you could like bust one of those open? 
Uh, subjective. Uh, 60 seconds. Okay. So it, it might... It depends. Yeah. Is, again, is there a camera looking at me while I do it? Uh, right. Is there a neighbor's door that's two feet away that can hear me doing it? Mm-hmm. Um, am I in a highly trafficking, highly trafficked area? Uh, and then the other question is something like, would I even pick that lock if I can see the latch next to it and I can slip that latch with a coat hanger? Why would I bother picking a lock? So, right. again, it's a systems-oriented uh, mm-hmm. problem. Yeah. I so in my personal situation, I'll just throw this out here as like a thought experiment. So I'm actually in a I'm in a rental that has a front enclosed porch. Which means that to get into my house, I actually have to enter an enclosure, and then I'm basically covered from prying eyes at that point. Um, and I can't imagine, yeah. like, even if somebody could see in, you know, let's say the blinds are down, and even if somebody could kind of see through there, they would think that I'm just, like, fiddling with my keys or something, and they wouldn't think anything of it. Mm-hmm. So in that case, I would maybe want a better lock, but if... If it was more just kind of out in the open, um, maybe that wouldn't be the first thing that I necessarily consider replacing. Well, other than just replacing it to get a different key. I would think even if you're like, probably especially in your discrete area, you want a, an obvious camera recording that too. Yeah, yeah, I think camera would probably be the best bet. What do you think, Pat? Well, so I'll answer that, and I'll also circle back to your earlier question about uh, window dressing, which is something people often get wrong. Um, sometimes people have good intentions with their security, and it ends up being uh, maybe the wrong step. So one of those mm-hmm. is lighting. So a lot of times people will they'll light up maybe a portion of their house, or they'll have a light shining down um, on the front of their house, um, or, or they'll have a light shining towards their windows. And a lot of times that not not every time but there's certain situations where you would want that to do the opposite right you would want to point you would sometimes want your lights to be very very close to the house like in the wall but pointing away from the house mm-hmm. so that an attacker is lit up while they're walking towards your dark windows at night instead mm-hmm. of um you know the light shining towards your house and de- again depending on the scenery depending on how close your neighbors are how close you are to a road how frequently that area is traveled um someone might be able to stand at your window and look in your window at night. And because of your lighting setup, you might have no idea. So it's, it's kind of, you kind of have to think outside of the box a little bit. And if you, if you are concerned about your security, that's where someone that, that really knows what the hell they're doing, that can really help you because again, you can sometimes take a step that you think is helping and it's actually hurting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wouldn't have thought of that. Yeah. That's the thing with lights too, is that, it's it's almost like that uh you squeeze on one side and it blows out on the other side kind of thing where if you light up one area you're kind of creating even darker spots that are hard to see into where you didn't light it up Mm. that's something to think about too yeah that's a good point yeah sometimes people too will put um they'll put a lot of bushes around a window like ha look (laughs) i covered the window Okay, good, but if an attacker is in there, then no one from the road is going to be able to see that attacker while they're peeking through your window at night. So, right. yep. yeah, it's a... Uh, yeah, unless you're... Just some thought putting... experiment. Just put yourself in the mind of an attacker, yeah, for five minutes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah if it were me, I would pick something your house. like a... Maybe like a rose bush or a blackberry bush and make sure it's really thick, and that's what I would put there if I was going to do that. But... 
because they're you know covered in thorns. The level of the window, yeah, yeah. But I wouldn't just do it with any old bush because like that's not that scary if you're really trying to break in. Like of all the things to be worried about, like oh no, a bush. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, for someone that wants to murder you, a bush might not be enough. Even a thorn (laughs) bush might not be enough. Oh yeah, that's true too. Um, but again, it's a it's a systemized approach. So, do you have cameras? Do you have lighting? Do you have thorn bushes? Do you have gravel outside your windows so rocks? Oh, yeah. So that if mm-hmm. someone steps on it, you can hear that on the inside. Lots of lots of steps to it. Yeah. Oh, you know, and again, I your said... budget will come into play too. You might not have the budget for cameras and window shades and film and bushes and gravel. That's I mean, some of that adds up. Mm-hmm. Right. It probably doesn't make sense to spend more defending than you have to defend. Yeah, that that too, right? Yeah, that that goes back to the attacker thing too, because on the attacker side, it's like you have the the risk and reward proposition, and you really have the same proposition as as a defender too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, I said this in a another Discord server that we're in uh, the other day, just as a joke. But I was like, what if I just leave a whole bunch of squeaky toys because I have a dog now, like right in <laughs> front of my door, so if somebody tries to get in, <laughs> they step on one. <laughs> and i'll call that honestly um that's honestly one of the biggest deterrents to a burglary um is having a dog in the house any type of dog oh yeah um that just barks and alerts even Mm -hmm. even the little dogs um burglars often don't want to go into a house to even deal with little dogs and again it depends on the type of attacker you have if you want if you're worried about jason Bourne breaking in uh you're probably fucked no matter what you do (laughs) but i mean there's different levels and different types of things people want to prevent um, and I'll give you one that, that's an exception to dogs. So I never, I think I, I never worked a burglary where a dog was present in the house. Um, I think, period. And I, th- I think there was one exception that one of my partners worked once, um, and that one was where the dog had known the burglars, and it was a. Um, mm-hmm. It was a family member that frequented the house, but the family member was also on drugs a lot and in and out of rehab and had like had access to the house. Mm-hmm. So nothing you can do about that. So uh, barring someone that you know breaking into your home, if you want to stop strangers from coming in your home, a dog is a fantastic option for that. And even my dog, if it's someone that, even if it's someone we know, um, Arrow's job is no one comes into the room when we're sleeping, period. Um, and if anyone comes into the house without me letting them through the door, like that's an issue. So if someone knocks, it's like, hey, there's something going on. Um, if I open the door and I allow someone in, that's a different step. I was like, oh, okay, cool. We, they're allowed in. I'm watching them, but they're allowed in. Cool. Yeah. So I that's think really if cool. you have the ability to add a dog into your lifestyle, it's one of the best deterrents against crime, against theft, against uh, violence, all sorts of things. It's just they're amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's been really nice. Even when I have friends over, my my dogs always know when they're approaching. Even before, you know, we see them on the front camera, um, and they lose their shit over anybody approaching the house. But when they see mm-hmm. it's a friend, then you know it turns to excitement, and they're gonna jump all over anybody. That's just how they greet. Uh, mm-hmm. I yeah. enjoy that, so I I don't like to discourage it. <laughs> Oh, complete sidebar here. Um, my wife yeah. is a TikTok user, as as many are. Mm-hmm. Um, 
she showed me this video the other day. This guy had trained his German Shepherd to do a variety of different barks. So he'd like say ankle biter, and he'd you know bark like a little Chihuahua or something. And he'd give him the I don't remember what the command was for for a large dog, but he'd get really deep in his chest and give a big baroo. Cool. <laughs> yeah that's awesome i've got two levels now arrow does her she'll do a a loud alert if it's to wake me up or if it's someone that quickly comes into our area that wasn't there before mm. and she will also do like if i tell her like if i tell her like yeah i i know what's going on and i see that and i know that it's weird um she'll kind of she has like a quiet chuff where she's like huff huff mm-hmm. and i'm like i'll tell her like okay that's fine but don't do the big bark. And she's like, okay, mm-hmm. got it. Huff, huff. So we've got two levels that we're trying to work on right now. Oh, that's, that's so awesome. Uh, um, big one here, I guess, as far as I'm concerned, I'm just going to read the whole paragraph because I wrote out a whole thing here. Um, so my wife wanted me to ask what sort of things we as men or together as families can do to help wives feel safer when home alone. Uh, as background, Last time I was away from home for a week, some strange man came to the door at about 11 p.m., rang the doorbell, knocked on the door, and stood there talking to himself for a while, did not go to any of the other neighbors' houses, and this was the first night that I was away. Um, For further context, we've got multiple vehicles. There's, Even if both of us are gone, there's still a vehicle at the house. Um, Yeah, it's just a strange situation. It's not been repeated any other time that we've been here. Uh, that I can think of, just out of the blue, and just hit, really had her shook the whole time I was gone. She well, was, well good barring... news. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, that's fine. I'm sorry. Um, the good news is at least she is primed for that conversation. So it's really hard to get people into a security mindset if security is not anywhere on their horizon. Um, so the fact that she's interested in having the conversation is great, and it can... The, this problem can be solved in as little as a smart discussion, meaning uh, something I talk about a lot, which is called door protocol. And it's just how you handle someone at the door, really simply. And you get to choose all the variables and all the way you do this. Um, but the one thing I would really want people to consider is if something in your gut says, huh, that's odd, then, then that should always and forever be a red flag for you. So if someone comes to the door and you go, huh, I'm not expecting someone, red flag starts. And you get near the door and maybe you should you should be able to look and see who that is without opening the door. So yeah. a peephole or a ring doorbell, um, I honestly, I really think that ring doorbell, is, as much as it is a an item of big tech, it's also a really, really good problem solver. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can speak through that, you can look through that, you can record through that, and you can see it when you're not home too, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, so number one, I'd get a ring doorbell. If you're worried about security at home, and if you're worried about the man or the male not being home um, and securing the rest of your family, absolutely, I would start start that step almost immediately. Um, the door protocol would be, no matter what the purpose is that that person claims, they don't come into the house. Right. Meaning, hey, we're here to fix the cable. You can go. I'm sorry. We're ca- you know we're canceling this event. You can come back at another time. Now is not a good time. And if they if they start poking and prodding, that should be a red flag too. Like, well, just let us come in and get it done. It should be, the answer is no, you will come back later. And if it's, well, my boss wants me, it would be, I would shut the door and I would call the fucking police. So you get to choose how much you put up with. I like to put up with zero. 
Yeah. So at my door, when someone goes, hey, I want to talk to you about this, I go, I'm really sorry, go away, don't come back. Well, door shut, call the police. And that's really easy. That's, that's, as politics aside, that is one of the few things that the police are there for. You should be able to call them and say, there's a suspicious person at my door. He looks like this. He is not welcomed here. I told him to leave. He did not leave. And the police should drive drive to your address. They should drive around the neighborhood. If they see that person, they should stop them and question them and see what they're doing there. Um, especially things like someone shows up to your doorstep and knocks on your door and there's no work van there. Or they don't have a uniform shirt on. Mm-hmm. Or, or they're uninvited, right? Or they're there to install something or or to see what your thoughts are on something. I always, it's 2022 right now. There is no reason that someone should be at my door selling me a product or a service. (laughs) If it's something I wanted, I can get it on Google and Amazon within minutes. I don't need someone selling me something. So again, I have zero tolerance for that. Um, And you don't have to give personal information away. If someone comes to your door and they're asking you for personal information, huge red flag, leave the door shut, or if for some reason you have opened it, and that person is close to the door, you shut the door again and you lock it. If you open the door and they're kind of step back a little bit and you decide to talk to them with the door cracked and they want personal information from you, the answer is no. It's you should call me or you should email me. And if you don't have either of those pieces of information, you shouldn't be here in the first place, right? Like cable company, they should let you know that they're coming if something is broken. Internet company, same thing. Plumbing company, same thing. Mm-hmm. And if there's no water on your floor and they say, well, we need to access your plumbing thing because there's a neighborhood emergency and there's no emergency in your house, it's tough shit, come back later. Shut, lock. Um, and again, get on the phone with husband or your family member or dad or grandpa or someone else. Um, or, you know, again, politics aside, that is one of the few things police are there for, so have them check out your neighborhood. So I call that door protocol. All it takes is some discussions along that line to make smarter decisions about who's in and around your house. Hmm. Um, Next step, if you're at all able to, I would always tell people to add a dog into their life. Um, If you're at all able to, I would do, at a minimum, some type of firearms training, and I would really consider some either discussions or some podcasts about the mindset. Um, I I have personally pointed guns at people, and they have said they have said to me, "Bro, you can point that gun at me all you want. I'm still going to kick your ass." And I've gone, oh, shit, <laughs> I need to do something different. Yeah. So uh, that's a great, that's that's where a dog steps in. I've also had, this is a cool story. I was in downtown, where was I? Austin, Texas. And it was Halloween night, and the streets were shut down. The cars weren't even allowed to, cars weren't even on the main strip. And it was just gaggles and gaggles of people. Um, we were like bars on the left, bars on the right, and me and Arrow were by ourselves walking down the street together. And there were groups of like, I remember specifically at least two to three times there was a group of like large, muscle bound, drunk and high, like college students coked up mm-hmm. and like uh, in their costumes, just like doing the gorilla walk, like, hey, yeah, fucking Halloween, we're with my bros, yeah, and and they would kind of turn towards me and Arrow, and one of them would go, oh, and the whole group would just go the other direction, Jeez. without another word said. Um, and that happened multiple times that night, and not a single fucking person bothered us. It was amazing. Um, I can't stress enough how amazing of a tool and almost any dog is, especially one that looks well-trained. Even if they don't bite, if they look well-trained and they're a big dog, it's 
that's going to help you. Yeah, they just got that air to them, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. My dogs are yeah, way too approachable. Were... <laughs> and, and there were some really nice people that were in like large groups of people that would walk towards us and they'd go, oh, nope, okay, have a good day, buddy. And I was like, <laughs> well, you guys too, have a nice night. And they're like, oh, oh wow, like we don't want to get to close, but man, that's a beautiful dog. And I'm like, thank you, have a nice night. And everyone was polite, <laughs> but even the people that may have been a little rowdy were... There, there was not a doubt in their mind that no one wanted that problem in their life. So that's, yeah. if at all possible, that it's a, it's a life changer and it's a lifesaver in many situations too. Okay. Yeah, I appreciate that. We've got a lot of those things covered. Um, you know, we've, we've got a larger dog and a medium-ish dog, but you know, mm-hmm. they, they were both rescues. Neither of them have any, any training. Um, you know, luckily they do bark at anything strange going on um and anytime we answer the door they've got to be held back because they just want to meet all the people um and and fortunately i haven't had to test whether you know they they expect everybody's a friend um but yeah that that perhaps a a a well-trained dog would be a good step in the right direction a big step in the right direction Mm -hmm. um an additional firearms training. We've gone, we've gone shooting some. She's got, uh, we both have guns of various varieties. Um, but she, she had expressed earlier today that more familiarity in that department would be a big help. Awesome. And yeah, there's a lot for free. You can access with that, with the firearm stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I I imagine, um, I don't know whether, I'm sure this is subjective as well as almost everything is, but just, uh, you know, hearing stories of folks that had to defend themselves, like, you know, the first person recounting after the fact, um, kind of just things that surprise them and stuff like that. If I'm sure there's people that do, you know, find such people to tell their stories and like, that'd be interesting just to kind of mentally prepare for different things you don't expect. Yeah, it, it's, I mean, and even in law enforcement, I know that there's there's cops that have had both the legal and the moral right to end someone's life. Like, it's a really bad guy doing really bad things, and the cop themselves is about to be victimized by someone with, with just no, with not a good bone in their body, just really evil people. And there's cops that just, they just don't want to pull the trigger. Mm-hmm. They'll do anything they can to not do that, um, up to and including until it's too late. Um, and then they get their gun just ripped out of their hands and they get murdered. It happens. Um, it happens to men, happens to women, happens to highly trained people. It's just there's something about not every human, but there's something about most humans that you just, if you can avoid killing some someone, you'll do it. And I had that chance the last, probably the last week that I was a local police officer, the last probably four or five shifts that I worked, there were three separate occasions that I could have pulled the trigger on my gun and killed somebody. And it would have been a, I believe it in my heart, I believe it would have been a legally authorized and morally righteous shooting. Uh, I took the half second to consider if it was safe enough for me to solve that problem another way. And all three times I figured it out other ways. Um, And it's, it's really common in the gun world that a lot of, you know, FUDs or, you know, new people or inexperienced people or young people, they like they're itching for that to happen. Like, uh, and part of it, 
I think is righteous and good, right? Most young men want to be defenders of themselves and their families and their communities. And when evil comes, they're like, I'll, I'll heed the call. That part of it is good. The eagerness to end someone else's life, that part is maybe not so good. Um, so I get that there's a lot of emotion around that. Um, but still, sometimes when that call comes, you, it's, it's really tough sometimes to pull that trigger. And uh, I, I know from experience, I, I was a young man. And at one point, I was like, I'll fucking heed that call. The first fuck, fucking first chance that someone comes up to me and wants to kill me, I'm going to kill them first. Ha ha. And I was put in that situation several times. And I thought, this is not the right thing to do. I can solve this another way. Um, if I had to, I have no doubt I would have dropped that hammer. Um, but I didn't have to. There were, there were other options still. Yeah. Man, I haven't talked about that stuff in a long time. <laughs> somber place to go. Cody, you got anything to pick us up? Uh, well, I, yeah, I was just, uh, <laughs> on that note, I was just thinking about, like, going back to, like, you know, sort of the, the, the holistic approach and that there's, there's multiple ways to defend yourself and, you know, I don't, I, you know, there's no shame in, like, if, if you're gonna be, well, first off, you never want to be in a situation in the first place, and second, if you are, you know, getting out of it is better than actually letting it become a fight. Um, and there's obviously, like, multiple ways to handle that, and it just all kind of depends on your situation, but... Um, I, don't, I don't really know what to, to add to the holistic approach there, but I know that it is... I one. can... I'll help you out a little bit there. I have some okay. thoughts. Um, a lot of people, again, in the shooting world, a lot of people in the dog protection world, a lot of people in the martial arts world... Um, Again, you're, a lot of that, even the really best of that, um, still doesn't, they still don't take in, like you said, the holistic or the organic approach. Did I lose you guys? I heard a beep in my ear. Oh, no, I just shut the screen share off. Okay. Um, they still miss something, which is, if you can avoid the problem, avoid the problem. If you're in the problem and you can leave the problem, leave the problem. If you're in the problem and you don't have those choices, that's when the gunfighting starts. That's when the martial arts starts. That's when the dog biting starts. Um, and again, the gunfighting, the dog stuff, the martial arts, they only focus on that I'm in the problem now moment. Mm -hmm. And there is very little, very little out there. Maybe that would be a, I'm going to take a note here. Um, that would be a really good thing to discuss um, in depth in multiple episodes, which would be Dude, before I would look forward to that. the problem. Yeah. Let me. And there is almost no training on that. There's a couple books out there. Uh, there's a few speakers that will occasionally speak to that. Uh, but that also is a skill and a technique and a tactic. And it's also a skillful, um, systemized approach, meaning um, it's not just one thing that will work. Um, there's not just one way to do it. But uh, sometimes the gray man thing covers it, where they say, you know, I won't get attacked because I just look like I blend in. Yeah, well, that might not be the the point of Gray Man to not get attacked. It's maybe to not be noticed for whatever you're doing. Um, but being in a situation and then leaving that situation, that's also a tactic and a technique, and it's a skill set. And it's it's that's really more than just a tool. Um, if you get into an argument, yeah, the, uh, ego really, really, really kills people a lot. And I mean, like literally, gets you killed. Um, so you have that choice to make. Do I look like a, a sissy or a loser or a little girl, and do I walk away from the verbal argument? 
a lot of times that's your best bet. Um, as as I'm much older now, and it, this hit this hit me when I was pretty young too. I, in one hand, was lucky enough to be on a, a top tier operational unit, and when I wasn't actively doing that job, I really had nothing to prove. I, I had done some super cool stuff um, in some super difficult environments, and unlike uh, most of the civilized world. It didn't bother me if someone said, hey, you got a stupid haircut. I was like, all right, bro, cool. See you around. Like, believe me, I'm not going to cry about it when I go to bed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so understanding that ego check is important. Uh, maybe a higher level of thinking could help on, you know, why is this person arguing with me? Um, can I guess why they're arguing with me? Should I try to calm them down? Should I just leave? You know, should I start calling resources? Should I get on my phone and call the police? Should I... Should I not walk out to my car? Should I walk back into the business? You know, and a lot of that's ego. A lot of that's embarrassment. Um, but those are things to consider with you know trying to stay alive. It's it's there's a lot to it, man. Yeah, yeah, I'd be really interested to yeah. hear how you cover that. Um, I know the the episode that we referenced a good amount the last time we recorded uh, the Survival Podcast. Jack got into that a bit, but it was you know it was part of a, a much larger discussion. So he just discussed a few points. Um, for for an acute like somebody's at your front door, they know you probably have things. They want your things. What can you do? Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and to he... see that to see that broadened out would be really handy. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess uh, one last thing to consider is that he uh, did bring up this idea of like, okay, so what if the person coming to your house? You know, let's say you're in a, a situation where it's after a disaster and you've got food and they want food. But the person coming to your house is actually your neighbor, and you guys are cool, Ooh, yeah. and he's actually, you know, just in the, that sort of situation where all of a sudden he's coming to you looking for stuff. And um, he he discussed ways of, like, diffusing that situation, or at least, you know, um, being able to, to talk through it or sort of offer, you know, a small appeasement to get them out the door the first time, but then, like, you know... Th- they weren't it, ways to like obfuscate what you actually had or or you know the to to prevent the situation where you're feeding a stray cat kind of thing mm-hmm. and uh i i thought it was a really interesting discussion at least so yeah because it's definitely something i'd never i'd not thought of you know what happens when the attacker is somebody you consider at least an acquaintance you know they're not an attacker in the you know violent physical sense mm-hmm. at this point but well, and that, um, yeah, they could be. Yeah, and that goes back to um, what Pat was talking about earlier. When, like, you know, if you've got dogs, but it's a family member that your dogs are familiar with that's coming into your house, mm-hmm. and you know, I, I can tell you, like, when I I used to work in as a teller at a bank, and they made us watch all these training videos about, like, um, one of them was about elder abuse, and so basically, you you end up with like a, a you know a, a kid or a grandkid managing this person's accounts, and they would call in, and and there'd be some really like fishiness about the kinds of things that they were trying to do, and uh, it basically ends up being that mm-hmm. you know the the young person is basically siphoning money away from their their elderly grandparent, Jeez. and uh, so we're they try to train really us common, to yeah. oh yeah. And they tried to train us to at least be able to spot that, and so we could report it. And um, it it was really depressing to me because the one time that I actually thought that I saw that happen, like over the over the phone, um, I kind of mentioned to my my manager at the time. I was like, I 
think this might have been one of those situations. And she was like, huh, yeah, it might have been. And that was the last I heard about it. Jesus. And I was like, so you're not going to, like, flag their, we're not going to flag their account or anything and, like, you know, maybe have them looked in on? Because that's weird. Like, this, this phone conversation that I just had put me on edge. Uh-huh. So, yeah, that's something, I guess, if I have personal advice to give is always trust that gut feeling. If you get a phone call, and, you know, this goes back to, like, spam calls and stuff, too. Like, if, if you get a weird feeling about it, like, this person is not who they say they are, I'd say more often than not, you're probably right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So. For sure. All right. Well, uh, we are over an hour now, and I want to respect your time. So, uh, do we have anything else we want to want to bring up, or uh, just give plugs and get out of here? Yeah, I'm good to close out. All right. So, uh, where can we find you, Pat? Super easy. Um, that website is the best place to go. Just head over to uncensoredtactical.com, and Let's see, right now, what do I got going on? Uh, probably the biggest thing I'm promoting now is just the two books that I have out. That's, uh, oh, and the dog training. So uh, I love I love the process of writing. Um, I think it's a great medium to get long format information out to people. And I think a lot of people really enjoy the reading um, process. Uh, you can get those through the website. There's lots of links on there, easy to find. Uh, if you want the dog stuff, there should still be a link on my homepage on uncensoredtactical.com. It's under the branding of K9 Philosophy is what we're calling our, our dog franchise. It is a franchise of Fortress K9. So any of their content, any of their products, any of their services, any of their dogs, um, they are, I am very closely affiliated with everything they do. I'm a franchise of them and I am definitely biased. Uh, we do have a financial relationship with each other, um, but I, I wouldn't have gotten involved with Joel and K9 and with uh, Fortress K9 unless I really believed in what they did. And, uh, I'm actually packing up in two days. I'm driving down to Florida from Texas to do my uh, my annual upkeep training with them to bring me an arrow down there and to train with them and their dogs and to make sure that what I'm providing everybody is up to date and accurate. So dog stuff, books, lock picking. We have other courses, all sorts of stuff. The website's really just the easiest place to kind of noodle around there and support me. Very cool. Awesome. And uh, just a quick one is... Uh... When's that next uh, homestead event out at the at the Texas shows? Should be the weekend after um, Easter, and Easter falls on like a weird day. So let me look it up: January, February, March, April. It should be. Yep, April twenty ninth, thirtieth, and May first. Awesome. Okay, so we can uh, see you out there if we're anybody's heading to that. So. Cool. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of, it's very Childerberg esque. It's just, awesome. we do some events and we have some, uh, we have some speakers and we have some hands-on learning. But honestly, everyone that comes to those events, they really just come for the people and to be left alone, <laughs> left alone to be in, you know, in a community with people they do like. So you don't have to pretend to like the people that are around you, which is the coolest. Man, it's the Heck coolest yeah, thing. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, um, you know, I, if I can, I will try to make it down to that thing because I am actually, as of this week, in the works of uh, moving before May. So uh, I don't know if it's going to be 
by April 1st or, or sometime mid-April, but uh, that's what we're looking at. Cool. Yeah, so I might be down there. I don't know yet. <laughs> we will find out. Very cool. Uh, and I just want to give a warning as far as any of Pat's information on bureaucracy. You may find oh, that you're working for a bureaucracy and end <laughs> oh, up God. quitting your job because you realize it's hopeless, <laughs> which is what I did almost exactly a year ago. Awesome. Warning, <laughs> you might have a better life if you read that. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Hell yeah, dude. That uh, I, I can tell you, I, I still need to actually pick that up, but... Uh, I've heard a lot of your philosophy regarding the subject, and it is killer. So, plug. Yeah, I'm, I'm very okay. happy about it. Yeah, we wound up at a happy place to end it off. Awesome. Sign off there. Peace Good. and love. <laughs> Cheers.